For the, those of you I haven't met before, my name's Tim. I'm one of the leaders here at uh, Church Central. <clears throat> and uh, this, uh, it's a special morning for me this morning. Uh, this is the first time I've had the opportunity to uh, preach here at Church Central. So I've been looking forward to it. Well, <clears throat> I would wait. <laughs> um, it's also the first time I've preached in a number of years without having someone standing next to me translating me into uh, Hindi. So I'm used to doing one sentence at a time. And then, so if there are any long pauses, that will be the reason. And please do, if you have my permission to wave or throw something at me if uh, I, I'm obviously stranded waiting for someone to, uh, uh, to jump in. I'm going to start this morning by, uh, with a story. A story about a group of men who called themselves fishermen. And where they lived, where these guys lived, there were many, many fish. There were lots of fish in the waters all around. And in fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, these men who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and they talked about their call to fish. They talked about the abundance of fish. They talked about how they might go fishing together. Continually, they researched. They researched new, better methods for fishing, for new and better definitions of fishing. They had special meetings. They called these meetings Fishermen's Campaigns and the Month for Fishermen to Fish. They even went to national and international conferences to discuss fishing, to promote fishing, and hear about all the ways of fishing, with, such as new fishing equipment, fish calls, whether new bait had been discovered. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. They bought all the latest, all the most expensive fishing equipment. They encouraged everyone to be a fisherman, and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. They had expensive training centers whose purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to fish, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and how to feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates. They had doctorates in fishology. But the teachers didn't fish. They just taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and they were given fishing doctorates. They were sent to do full-time fishing. Some were sent to distant waters which were filled with exotic fish. After one stirring meeting on the necessity of fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and went fishing. And the next day, he reported that he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for this excellent catch. He was scheduled to visit all the big meetings all around. And he went to all the meetings possible to tell about how he did it. So he quit fishing in order to have time to tell about the experience of fishing to other fishermen. He was also placed on the Fisherman's General Board as a person having considerable experience and success in fishing. Imagine how hurt 
these people, these men were one day when someone came along and suggested that those who don't catch fish are not really fishermen at all. No matter how much they claim to be fishermen and no matter how much they talked about being fishermen. But it did sound correct. Is a person really a fisherman if year after year he never catches a fish? This morning, as you might have gathered, we are going to be talking quite a bit about fishing. Up front, I have to confess uh, an almost total lack of experience and knowledge about actual fishing. When I was about 10, <clears throat> we were on holiday. I was on holiday with my family, and we were on holiday by the sea. We were staying on a campsite, and in the campsite shop, they had uh, a lovely selection of uh, fishing rods designed for children. And, uh, and uh, I took a shine to these, and I decided I really want, wanted one. And you know, as 10-year-olds can do, I started pestering uh, my parents for a fishing rod. And after, I don't know, a few days of, uh, of gradually wearing them down, they gave in, and they bought me this really nice beginner's fishing rod with a proper reel on it and, you know, the... the lures or bait or whatever it was that I needed uh, to do it. And my fishing career started. 20 minutes later, when no fish had decided to throw themselves onto my hook, I, I evidently threw the rod into the sea and went back to playing cricket. <clears throat> uh, so so that, that was the extent of my, my fishing, Chris. So I just wanted to kind of get that disclaimer out of the, the way first. Are there any fishermen here? Anyone? Well, okay. Uh, so I, I won't uh, pass any more comments about the, uh, the merits of fishing uh, as a pastime. Wouldn't want to uh, offend Andy. <laughs> We're going to read from the Bible now. For, so for those of you who are, who are new to us, who, who uh, are new around here, we're going to read this morning from the book of Luke. And the book of Luke is uh, it's a book of the Bible. It's one of the four books uh, in the Bible that give us contemporary accounts of the life, the teaching, the actions uh, of Jesus when he was on earth. So we're going to read this morning from Luke and uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him as he, to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now, go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon, both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, 
Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Uh, during his ministry, during his, uh, his time on earth, Jesus told lots of stories. And those stories we, we know by the name parable. And a parable is simply a story that conveys uh, a principle. It conveys a, a lesson, some teaching uh, for us uh, within, within the story. Well, this passage is a different kind of parable. This, is, this passage actually is an acted-out parable. Jesus is teaching us here through what he does rather than what he says. But it is still a parable in which there's, a, a learning, uh, there's, a learning, there's learning for us. So in this story, we find one of the main characters, Simon Peter, in a very, very frustrated mood. Simon Peter is a fisherman. He's coming off a night with no fish. And maybe this isn't the first night uh, with no fish. He's had a long, tiring night out on the lake, repeatedly casting the nets, pulling them back in, casting them, pulling them back in with no results. So very, very frustrating. And not just frustrating. There would have been financial implications for him. No fish meant no income. And he wasn't a wealthy man. These weren't wealthy men, these, the, the, the fishermen. So maybe now it meant that his wife and his family, they don't get to eat today. So now when we find him, he's washing his nets, getting ready for the next night's work. And then we meet Jesus. The context here is that Jesus has recently started his ministry. He's had a really busy start to what he's going to be doing uh, uh, on earth. The previous chapter tells us of preaching and healing, traveling, driving out evil spirits, talks about crowds of followers following after him, but also tells us about rejection as he visited uh, his, his hometown. And most recently, he's been in Simon Peter's house and he's healed Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. And now we find him teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And people were crowding around him, trying to catch what he was saying. There was obviously a bit of a scrum. So Jesus needed to make some room. So he actually climbed into Simon's boat and got him to push out a little way from the shore onto the lake. And he started teaching from the boat. Did you know? Here's one thing you might want to take away from this. I hope you'll take more than one thing away from this morning. One thing. Did you know that sound travels seven times better across water than it does across land? So Jesus was not only making space for himself, but he was creating amplification uh, for his message as well. And I would guess Simon Peter, he would have been happy to help Jesus out in, uh, in this way. In the society where he lived, there was uh, a culture of returning favors. And he really owed Jesus because Jesus had recently healed uh, his mother-in-law. So <clears throat> Simon, I guess, would have been quite happy to help Jesus by letting him use his boat uh, uh, to preach. But then after the sermon, Simon might have been slightly less pleased when Jesus made his next suggestion, when he said, let's catch some fish. Come on, out into the deep water and let down your nets again. Now, to us, 
putting out into deep water in order to catch some fish might sound a sensible idea. You know, it might sound a good idea. Lots of fish, deep water, sounds, uh, sounds reasonable. But for Peter, Simon Peter and his partners, it would have been a terrible idea. They still fish today on the Sea of Galilee. And they still use fairly similar methods to what was used in Jesus' time. The basic principles of fishing in the Sea of Galilee are the same today as they were 2,000 years ago. And there are two main rules. First, you fish at night. And second, you fish in shallow water. The Sea of Galilee is actually quite deep. And during the day, the fish go down into the depths, and they're very hard to catch. Experienced fishermen knew that fishing in deep water during the day was a no-hoper. And that's exactly what Jesus told Simon Peter to do. And, you know, you can guess what was going through Simon's mind. Okay, so you're a carpenter. You're from the hill country. First time down by the sea, and suddenly you're a fishing expert. We've done this all our lives. We've been working all night long. We're exhausted. We really, really don't need this. And you just look at Simon Peter's response. He says, Master, if you say so, we'll do it. It's really, really grudging. It's quite condescending, actually. It's like telling your boss. Your boss gives you something to do, and you, oh, if, you, if you say so, then I'll do it. No buy-in, no faith, no real application, just doing what you're told. And, and actually, Peter would have felt, he must have felt quite exposed and embarrassed in front of the other fishermen. You can imagine them looking out, seeing Peter, letting down his nets and thinking, well, they may be even shouting out to him, what, asking him what he thinks he's doing. You know, what a rookie mistake uh, he was making. But then, of course, what happens? There's that great catch in fact, a catch so great that things get out of control. Peter can't handle the weight of the fish. The nets start to break. The boats start to sink. He has a call for help. And James and John, his uh, partners, come over to lend a hand. And you see an immediate change in, in Simon. Whereas before, he used the word master, or which carries the, uh, it kind of means teacher. Now, he uses the word Lord, and he's down on his knees. And maybe, maybe he just starts to understand a little bit who he's dealing with. And there's more than just a touch of fear in his voice. Before, Simon Peter saw himself as the expert, the one in charge, the one doing Jesus a favor by going back out. Now his eyes are opened, and he sees the true order of things. He sees really Who's in command here? And then Jesus says to him, come on, let's catch people together. And Peter leaves his nets. Seemingly, he leaves this, whole, this catch of fish. He says he left everything. So he seems though actually left this huge catch of fish behind. And he and his fellows followed Jesus. This passage is what's, <clears throat> what's commonly termed, it's called a call narrative. Peter was being called by Jesus through uh, what happened in this passage. And the Bible is full of call narratives. Right, I mean, you, you, 
you could say the whole Bible, uh, the entire Bible itself is one long call narrative. But the Bible is full of lots of call narratives. So we could think about Abraham in his home city of Ur being called to leave his country and go to the country that God will show him. We think about Moses at the burning bush being called by God to go and lead his people out of Egypt. We think about Nehemiah in in exile in Persia being called to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. Paul on the road to Damascus when Jesus met him, asked him, why are you persecuting me? And then then sent him uh, to the Gentiles. Lots of calls throughout the Bible, and each one particular to the person being called, but also relevant to us because we are also called. God heard the cries of the Israelites. He sent Moses to be an instrument of blessing. And today, God hears the cries of a broken world again and comes to bless and comes to, uh, comes to bring salvation And as he did through Moses, he does it through us. In his infinite wisdom, God has chosen to work out his purposes through us, his people. And he illustrates that through this episode. If Jesus had chosen to, he could have simply made those fish jump out the water and land in the boat. It would have been even more weird than the episode described in the chapter, but Jesus was more than capable of doing that. But he didn't. He chose to get Peter to throw, the, throw his nets uh, over and then to pull in the catch. Why? Because he calls us. He wants us. His plan is for us to work alongside him to bring in the results uh, of his salvation. And just like Peter, God calls us and is going to call us into situations in which we feel exposed, in which we feel out of our depth. And if we're willing to respond to that call, respond to those, uh, those invitations with obedience, then God promises that great catch of fish. Notice that Peter and his friends had to bring in such a huge catch that they could hardly handle it. What does that tell us? It tells us that God is interested in big. He's interested in large numbers. He's not just interested in quantity. Quality and depth also matters. But when it comes to saving people, when it comes to the expansion of the kingdom, God is after big. That's why he talks about the kingdom growing from a tiny seed into a great tree so that many birds can take shelter. That's why he talks about vines bearing much fruit. As I said at the beginning, this episode is an acted-out parable. It's not really about fishing. It's a teaching lesson. It's not, it's, not a, uh, it's not a teaching lesson on how to land uh, more and more fish. It's about people. And the greatest catch on that day was Peter and his friends. Jesus captured Peter's heart and caught him up in his mission. And in the same way, he wants to capture our hearts afresh this morning for the mission, for the call that he's placed upon us. Over the years, there have been lots of different symbols associated uh, with followers of Jesus. Most famous, of course, being the cross. Also, the fish symbol that you see lots of people have on the back of their cars. But one of the earliest was a boat, was the symbol of a boat. 
Uh, and I mean, this is one of the one of the symbols of a boat that was that has been found uh, by archaeologists in, in in I think this one's from Rome. And the reason the boat was used the symbol traces itself back uh, to this very episode when Jesus when Peter heard Jesus's call in a boat, and the boat is a symbol. It's a picture of the church. It's a picture of the people of God, the church as a boat. But the question for us is, what kind of boat? What kind of ship? For many, it's like a cruise ship. It's a great place to enjoy ourselves, a place to hang out with friends, to, to sit, to relax in comfortable chairs, ish, <clears throat> to drink lots of free drinks, and have interesting meetings all together. But the church isn't or shouldn't be a cruise ship. What kind of boat, what kind of vessel should the church be? A lifeboat. What's the difference between a cruise ship and a lifeboat? Well, a cruise ship, a cruise liner, is all about the people already inside. It's there to serve the people already inside the ship. It's there to give them a great time, to enjoy themselves, to be comfortable. The passenger on a cruise liner doesn't have to lift a finger if they don't want to. Everything is done for them. On a lifeboat, there are no passengers. Everyone has a job to do. Someone's steering. Someone's keeping the engine going. Most are engaged in pulling people out of the sea. Everyone has a role. And it's not comfortable. I can speak from personal experience, having spent a night in a lifeboat, adrift. Uh, it's not comfortable. It's not meant to be. Someone once said that the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. See, that's like a lifeboat. Unlike a cruise ship, in a lifeboat, it's all about the people not yet in the boat. That's what it's there for, the people not on board. It's there for those who are in the sea, those who are drowning, those in need of saving. And the faster it can move, the more people it can rescue, the better. And the same is true for us. Sadly, I think it's generally true in church life, that there's a temptation, there's a tendency to become more and more like the cruise liner, to get to the point where the church exists for the benefit of its members and not those who are perishing outside. We so easily drift in that direction. We drift into passivity. We drift into inaction. And our thinking becomes, what can the church do for me? How are my needs being met here? And that's not make, to make any judgment on, 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 on our church. I think it's a temptation. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's something that can happen for any church. And unless we're aware of it, unless we take action to combat it, that's the way it can go. I guess many of us have seen the film Titanic. Yeah, seen the film Titanic, yeah. There are these dreadful scenes uh, towards the end, after the ship sinks, hundreds, thousands of people in the water, with their cries growing gradually weaker and weaker and weaker until finally the sea is silent as those people have all perished. 
And if you read the historical accounts of that night, if you really read about what really happened when the Titanic went down, you read different stories about the lifeboats. There were a few lifeboats that went round and round again and again, pulling more and more people out of the water until they were just dangerously overloaded. But there were many more, especially those with first-class passengers on board that simply drifted on, closing their ears to the cries of those who were perishing. The question for us, for each of us, for us as a church, what kind of lifeboat are we going to be? Are we here for a comfortable ride? Are we happy that we've been pulled from the water? Or are we going to follow Jesus' call and live for those outside the boat? This city is absolutely full of souls in a desperate need of a lifeboat? Are we as individuals, as we as a church, willing to drift on, oblivious to those who are perishing around us? Jesus has called us to be fishers of men, to work alongside him in his mission to see men and women saved. And to use a different picture from another one of Jesus' parables, we're called to sow seed. So what are some of the things that hold us back from being fishers and sowers? Well, some of us are afraid We're afraid of the embarrassment, the exposure that might come from stepping out. Just as Simon Peter would have cringed as he sailed his boat out into deep water, we can feel similar emotions as we step out to speak to friends or colleagues about Jesus. Just even giving out that invite to a meeting leaves us feeling so vulnerable. I know it does. I I feel exactly the same. We can also feel inadequate. I'd love to reach out to my friends, but I I don't know how, I don't know what to say. What if they ask hard questions? And like Peter, we can feel we've tried. We didn't see any results. We didn't, there were no fish. I think one of the reasons we can feel discouragement is that we have a wrong picture of what fishing with Jesus is like. We think of it like this. One man on his own with a fishing rod. A very solitary activity. And that's so daunting because it's such put so much pressure on us. Well, that's not the kind of fishing that Jesus would have had in mind when he, when he made that call. It's not the kind of fishing he would have known. It's not the kind of fishing he intends for us to take part in. This is what it looked like for Peter and Jesus. It was a team activity, something they did together, working alongside one another to bring in a catch. We feel isolated. We feel vulnerable in our witnessing, because we think it's something we have to do alone. It's not. It's something we're called to do together, to support one another, to use our different gifting. We're called to fish together, to support one another. Peter needed help from his friends to bring in the catch, and so do we. Let's work together to see Birmingham reached with the powerful gospel of Jesus. And then, of course, we remember the wonderful promise contained in the story. The huge catch of fish speaks to us of what Jesus has in store. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be amazing to see that fulfilled here in Birmingham? So, what does this parable teach us about fulfilling the call Jesus has given us? How can we go out into deep water and let down our nets? I think there are three learning points for us, things that Jesus clearly demonstrated and he wants us to pick up on. The first thing Jesus did was he taught. He taught firstly on the beach, and then he taught from the boat. It says there were people crowding around 
to hear the word of God. We live in a city that knows very little of Jesus. There is a huge need in the community around us, a need for knowledge, a need to know who Jesus is, a need to know what happened on the cross, a need to know what love truly is, a need to know the glories of the gospel, a need to know Jesus. Jesus taught in the boat to show us, to give us an example and to challenge us. Are you ready to teach? Do you feel equipped to sit down with someone who doesn't know Jesus and to give them a simple, clear explanation of the good news? Because I think all of us should be able to do that. That should be our baseline. To quote John Piper, he said, it's the first mark of disciples who do man fishing. They teach the word of God. Now, you might feel you're not equipped to do that. You might feel very unsure. Well, coming up next month, we have just the thing for you. On the evening of Monday, the 10th of September, along with uh, lots of other Birmingham churches, we're putting on a training event, introducing a new uh, a tool. It's a tool called Word One-to-One, which is designed to help anyone walk a friend through the gospel from the book of John. So one practical thing you can do this morning, you can put that date in your diary, 10th of September, and determine to be there so you can equip yourself. And of course, Word One-to-One isn't the only tool. There are lots of tools out there, lots of different things we can use. We're not all called to be Peters. We're not all called to be Pauls. We're not called to be Jonathan Bells. We're very few of us will have to stand up in front of crowds, in front of congregations to teach. But we should all be able to explain simple truths one-to-one with friends, with neighbors, with colleagues. The second lesson from this parable is about obedience. One of the very clear differences between this story and many of the other episodes in Jesus' life is that faith is pretty much absent. Peter wasn't exactly brimming over with faith. We've worked all night. We know fishing. You don't. This place is fished out. We're exhausted. How many more excuses could he have found for not fishing? But in the end, in the absence of faith, there was obedience. And Jesus accepted Peter's half-hearted obedience, and the miracle followed. That's the second mark of a fisher. She or he obeys Jesus. So often we hear stories, testimonies along the lines of, it didn't seem as though it was the best time to speak about Jesus, but I just felt prompted, so I went for it. Or, I was really tired, but I went and prayed with her anyway, and then God, and so on. So many stories we hear about people react, responding with obedience and seeing Jesus move. Obedience means taking God's call seriously, taking this call to be fishers, to make disciples, to go into all the world. And faith and doubt are always mixed. There is no faith without doubt, but let obedience overcome your doubt. Let obedience overcome your embarrassment at doing things that could make you feel, appear foolish. Let obedience overcome your weariness. If you're not sure, ask Jesus to show you where to fish. Ask him to show you where to cast your nets. And if you're still not clear, just go ahead and cast your nets anyway. 
Let your nets down. Start conversations. Invite people. Be hospitable. Pray for people. What's the worst that could happen? So being ready to teach, responding with obedience. And the third lesson is simply this. It's Jesus and only Jesus who brings in the catch. We can be obedient. We can cast out our nets. We can teach. We can pray. But it's only when Jesus moves that we see the great catch and the great harvest. And that should be so, so incredibly releasing for us. Our part is to do our part and trust. then trust him. You and I can save no one, but Jesus promises that in him there's a huge catch, a massive harvest on the way. Before we finish, I just want to give you some homework. Okay, so ready? If you've got notebooks, write this down. Some homework for you. Because unless we act on this, unless, unless we actually, uh, actually act on, on, on these things, it's just words. So sometime this week, and it has to be this week, because if you don't do it this week, it's not going to happen at all. Sit down with your partner, or sit down with a friend, sit down with a life group leader, sit down with someone. And together, I want you to do three things. First, practice sharing the gospel with one another. Not a long sermon, maximum four or five minutes. And like I said, this should be the minimum we're capable of. But just practice sharing the basic truths of the gospel with one another. Then secondly, discuss with each other, what does obedience look like for you? Basically, where is Jesus telling you to cast your nets? Which friends is he directing you towards? What next steps could you be taking? And then hold each other accountable. Check up on each other. How are you doing with that? Have you been out for that coffee you talked about? Have you offered to pray with that person? Have you invited them to come on a Sunday? And then thirdly, pray together. Ask Jesus to do the thing that only he can do. Ask for the catch. Ask for the wonderful joy of seeing salvation in the lives of those you're around. Finally, just before I finish this morning, you might be here this morning. You may have heard us teaching about Jesus. You may have heard us speaking about relationship with this person. Maybe you feel like one of those people who's crowded around him on the beach, interested to know more, maybe fascinated by what you've already heard, longing to hear more, uh, encounter more of Jesus. Well, the great news is that Jesus loves to reveal himself to us. He doesn't force himself upon us, but when we open ourselves up to him, he comes in the most loving, the most gentle, and yet the most exciting, thrilling way imaginable. And if you'd like to know more of Jesus, then there's going to be an opportunity for that in just a moment. For the rest of us, are we fishermen who never fish? Are we content with talking about fishing, with learning about fishing, with equipping ourselves to fish without ever going out onto the waters and casting out our nets? How sad it would be to be engaged in those futile activities without enjoying the wonderful, thrilling excitement of seeing Jesus bring in that great catch.